0: forward to, um, Isaiah 53 is where we're going to be tonight. This this chapter in Isaiah, some people call it the uh, the Mount Everest of the Old Testament, right? It's the, the pinnacle of the um, prophecies about Jesus. It's quoted 41 times in the New Testament, just this one chapter. Um you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in, the, in Acts where he's, he's reading from the Bible and then Philip comes upon him and, 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 and the eunuch says, uh, I can't tell, is, is, is he talking about himself or someone else and, and Philip expounds on the scriptures about Jesus and explains all that to him. that's what he's reading is Isaiah 53. There's um, a couple different views, now, I know a lot of you have been here for most of this study, so the last five or six chapters, Isaiah has been talking about, or contrasting, two different servants, right, there's uh, an unfaithful servant contrasted with the faithful servant, uh, the unfaithful servant is Israel, right, they God has done a lot for them, but they've rejected him time and time again, and then he's, comparing them to, but I have a faithful servant coming, the Messiah. And that is how uh, the rabbis in Judaism taught that portion of scripture for over a thousand years, that uh, there's an unfaithful servant, and then the faithful servant is the Messiah who's going to come. And then in the, uh, the 12th century A.D., there was a, a rabbi, Rocky I think was his name. But he decided that, you no, know, Israel is the faithful servant. Um, and, and they kind of changed how they interpreted this. And basically, there was a big kerfuffle because, well, this sure sounds a lot like this carpenter that we killed about 1,200 years ago. Uh, so that we better just change how we teach it or not teach it at all. Uh, And and basically, Isaiah 53 has become sort of the forbidden uh, portion of Isaiah. It's omitted from the – the synagogues uh, put out like a a list of daily readings for you to read every year, um, and they uh, just omit that chapter. They just just don't talk about that chapter uh, because it it just sounds a little too much like Jesus. Now, what they say is that uh, the Christians have – you know, basically, we've um, we kind of hijacked that chapter, so they're just going to avoid it. But anyway, I think that's interesting uh, in and of itself. So this is this chapter has a lot of um, historical um, influence, and uh, and it just tells us a lot about Jesus. It's it's basically I think it's like the fifth gospel. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Isaiah fifty three. All that being said, let's pray and then we'll get into it. Well, we thank you this evening for giving us the opportunity to, to study again your holy word. Um, we see that it's been through um, all sorts of seasons throughout history, um, and it's just a miracle that it's been preserved for us, um, and that's not by accident. So we just pray that you would help us tonight to understand message that you put here in, in your word almost 3,000 years ago for us, uh, God, we uh, pray that our hearts would be softened and, and pliable and, and changed by your word, We pray for your blessing on the message and on your people, amen. So if you were with us last week, uh, you know, we, we read, uh, we studied all the way to the end of chapter 52, but we're going to go back and hit the last few verses, because Remember, the, the chapters and verses, that's not how the Bible was written. There were some well-intentioned people, um, you know, centuries ago, who who did who put the chapters and verses in there to help us be able to find things. And sometimes I feel like they got the chapter breaks wrong, and I think this is one of them. I, the last few verses of chapter 52 probably should have been in chapter 52. We're going to go back there. Isaiah 52, verse 13. It says, Behold, my servant. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. We talked about that again last week, that Jesus, before he was crucified, was, was tortured. He was beaten. And specifically, he was blindfolded and beaten. And there's a natural instinct that we have uh, that is not available when you're blindfolded. Uh, you always will instinctually, instinctually roll with a punch or flinch away from a punch. But if you don't know it's coming at all, it's devastating. He was beaten. Uh, we know he was uh, scourged. They, they, they beat him with a cat of nine tails, uh, would have exposed his, his Muscles and maybe organs, spinal cord—it was a terrible thing. And his face was so beaten and disfigured that uh, that they couldn't even really tell who he was. And I sometimes wonder if that's why, uh, at his resurrection, some people didn't recognize him. By the way, because he'd been disfigured. In Revelation five, John has the vision of of Jesus in heaven and and he describes him as a lamb standing as if slain. Like a butchered, but alive. And we know that Jesus retained some of, at least some of the markings from the, the crucifixion, because remember Thomas? Calvin Thomas? That's, that's how he believed as he touched the wounds. The wounds were still there after Jesus was resurrected. And as Bertel uh, said in one of his sermons years ago, it's always stuck with me that um, the one beautiful thing is that the only scars in heaven, will be Jesus. Jesus will have the only scars in heaven. Anyway, his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus, he will sprinkle many nations. Now, this imagery, the sprinkle, um, the the Jews would have understood this this term basically one way. The high priest uh, would, every year, would dip Hyssop in 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 the blood of a lamb and sprinkle it on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of Israel. And he says, this servant is going to sprinkle many nations. Not just Israel. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see and what they had not heard, they will understand. Now, I think it's interesting. Isaiah writes all this stuff in, a, in an interesting tense. right? He's, he's talking about some things that are going to happen in the future. But he's talking about it in past tense. right? So he's talking about, these are people, he's describing how people are going to react to the Messiah in the past tense. After he's already come, and they look back. Zechariah 12, Zechariah does the the same thing. Uh, Verse 10, he says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on him who they have pierced. And they will mourn for him, as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him, like the bitter weeping of a person. Zechariah says, they're going to look someday on the one who may appear and understand. Now we get into chapter 56. Verse 1, it says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Like, who can believe this message that God became a man the man became a lamb and the lamb became a worm right he, he says that on the cross that I, i'm as low as a worm whos who can believe this message and he calls him the arm of the lord i think it's interesting that um you know in the psalms it talks about how he uh, god created the stars with the, you know, the span of his hand and his fingertips and, and then there are times when it talks about um, battles that, you know, the mighty hand of God was involved, but when it talks about the work that Jesus does on the cross, this is suddenly the arm of God, like this is the hardest thing he's ever going to do, the hardest work he ever did was on the cross. Verse 2, he says, for he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of ground Jesus comes along in a very dry season for Israel it's been 400 years between Malachi and Matthew where there were no prophets there's nobody speaking uh, God's will and word to the people until John the Baptist comes along so they're part they're thirsty they to hear the truth He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Like a tender shoot. Uh, Revelation 22, verse 16, says this. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David the bright morning star it's interesting he can be the root and the descendant at the same time Because I'm all God so I'm the root of all of it and I am a man I am physically a descendant of David at the same time and that verse though uh, back in Isaiah it said that also that he had no stately form or majesty that we should be uh, we should look upon him um he, Jesus appeared ordinary, right, but he, you know, if I'm a God, and I'm going to put on flesh, I feel like I would probably, like, look like a Marvel superhero, you know, I'm going to be, like, the most manly man ever, but that's not how Jesus did it, he was just ordinary, As a matter of fact, when, when they, when Judas goes to betray him, it's not like he, he could say, oh, well, it's easy, he's the one that glows in the dark, right? He says, No, I'll I'll you won't you guys will never guess who it is, so I'll portray him I'll kiss him and that'll show you who, who you need to arrest He was born poor, born in a cave. Just around animals. You know, just nothing outwardly that would make you go, Oh yeah, that's obviously the son of God. Because, you know, we celebrate the wrong thing. We tend to celebrate the outside rather than the, than the inside. The so God, of course, looks at the inside, not the outside. And I think it's really interesting that one day we'll see just how ugly uh, what the world calls beautiful truly really is. Earlier in Isaiah, he describes... he describes Lucifer he describes Satan a couple different ways but he describes this scene where when he's brought low when he's finally dealt with and done for that the people look upon him in Isaiah 14 verse 16 it says those who see you will gaze at you and they will ponder over you saying is this the man who made the earth tremble who he took kingdom you know he's as beautiful as they come and we're going to look at him and go, that's ugly, you know. And this one that it was ordinary is beautiful. There's no appearance that we should be attracted to him, and you know, you don't, you don't need to dress up the gospel uh, for people to to understand, for people to be attracted to it, for people to be changed by it. Uh, we don't need to add bells and whistles and all of that. People try it all the time. Uh, but Jesus didn't walk around, you know, glowing in the dark and, and, you know, using his majesty to draw people to him. He spoke simple truth and people were like, this is different than anything. He speaks as one having authority. He speaks differently than anyone we've ever heard because he's just speaking the truth. Isaiah 53, verse 3. So he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrow. And acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Funny, I, we all have probably our ideas of what Jesus looked like. And I would venture to say most of us, our, our idea of what he looked like is probably off. I can pretty much guarantee you he was not blond-haired and blue-eyed like most of the home interior people, you know. Um, there were not, that would have made him stick out in the Middle East, I can tell you that. Um, but, you know, he. Uh, th- I've heard people also say, oh, he was, you know, an ugly guy. Well, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say he was hideous. It just says there was nothing special about him. I think it's interesting, there's a scene uh, one time where uh, when he's 30, he's talking about Abraham, and the Jews say, you're not yet 50, and yet you say you, you know Abraham. It's weird that they chose a number like that, I, I wonder if he maybe looked a little older than he was, maybe looked a little, little haggard, because he says he was a man of sorrows, the with I don't doubt that he smiled a lot, but uh, he bore the weight of all the grief of the world, and I bet that showed on his face. I bet it wore on him. You know, he wept over Jerusalem, and his heart was broken for his children. I bet it. I bet it wore on him. He's like one from whom uh, men hide their face; He was despised. And we did not esteem him. Verse four. Now we get to this is the core of the gospel. It says, "Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried." Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. In other words, we we looked at him as, "Oh, he has done something wrong." Okay. He, as matter of fact, the Old Testament said, "Cursed is he who hangs on a tree." You know, when they crucified him, we were like, God must have, you know, he must have had that coming. But surely our grief, he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. And someone had to take that beating and and pay the price. Um, And while he was doing that, while he was carrying all that grief and sorrow for us, people looked and didn't understand what they saw. Verse 5, it says, but he was pierced through for our transgression." That word transgression is mainly a Bible word, right? We don't use it a lot in our, in our uh, vernacular. But it's, it's interesting, when you look at the root of this word, it's to aggressively cross a border. Our transgressions are not, like, we, we act like, oh, oops, I, I did a thing, that's a transgression. No, transgression is you you went out of your way to do it. You aggressively crossed a border, right? And that's, we very often are very determined to sin, right? We may not call it that, but but we go out of our way to do it. That's what a transgression is. It's, uh, you know, sin just means to miss the mark, right? To get a little bit off track. To so not be where you're supposed to be. And transgression is just purposely doing that very thing. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, for our iniquity. And iniquity, that word, it means to bend or twist. To distort. We believe in this concept of that all people are have a sin nature. Right? There's a part of us that is twisted and 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 bent, and distorted right out of the womb. I have six kids and I never had to teach any of them to lie. Right? I never had to teach any of them to be selfish. They just come out like that. You know, you have to you have to work to teach them the opposite that's what our iniquity is it's, we're, it's a sin nature it's the part of us that's just not right right out of the gate the old saying is that um, you know, I'm not a sinner because I sin I sin because I'm a sinner uh, it's in my nature but Isaiah he's, he's talking about he's describing the process of crucifixion Seven hundred years before it happened, and what's really interesting is he's describing crucifixion four hundred years before anybody practices crucifixion. Because that is not how the Jews executed somebody, right? They used stoning. This is a Roman practice, and the Romans didn't start doing it until the third century BC. And he's writing this in seven hundred and something BC. He's describing crucifixion before anybody even the chastising for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging or his wounds, your Bible may say by his scourging we are healed and I mentioned earlier that you know Jesus was, was beaten um, the flagellum is what they used to beat him it's just a whip basically with bits of glass and bone and metal woven into the strap so that they would catch and rip as they pulled it back. He uh, would have been hit, and hit, what, 39 times, I guess, with that. Yeah, it was very common for people to not survive a Very often that was the full punishment because you didn't live to it. So it wasn't just, you know, getting uh, those of you that, you know, maybe got spanked by a belt growing up or a switch. Uh, it wasn't that. It was much worse than that. I know some of you are like, well, you didn't get one of the spankings my dad gave out, right? But, but uh, they literally would have taken his hide, you know, his skin off with this The chastising for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we he are healed. got to quit scourging yourself. He already took enough of that for you. verse 6 all of us like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way but the lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him so here's what isaiah's the picture he's painting is one of substitutionary atonement a fancy word to use but something a, a, a lamb had to die for sin that was the concept that all of israel understood He goes on to say he, he is going to do this for all of us, for the whole world. Paul, we've talked about this all through Isaiah. Paul is like the New Testament Isaiah, or Isaiah is the Old Testament Paul. Uh, so they talk about a lot of the same concepts. But Paul took the imagery in the Old Testament and then expounded on it and said, here's what he meant, and you know here's how that applies to it. And he did it in multiple letters, but in Romans especially, he distills it down Uh few verses here, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right, there's not, it's not, uh, we don't need atonement just for the really bad people, all of us fall in this category, Romans 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for He died for us when we didn't deserve it. We didn't get clean enough or right enough with him that now we're worthy of it. While we were still beating him and spitting on him, he died for us. Jesus went to the cross as a substitute for all of us. Now, all of God's wrath and judgment uh, that we earned... One of my favorite verses uh, that Paul wrote, that I feel like sums all this up, is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, God treated Jesus like we deserved. Treated Jesus like we deserve to be treated, uh, so that He could treat us the way Jesus did. Isaiah 53 verse 7 it says He was opposed, or I'm sorry, He was oppressed, and He was afflicted. Yet He did not open His mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so He did not open His mouth. My grandpa was a quiet guy, uh, so I remember he told me, you know, you never have to make excuses or apologize for doing the right thing. Uh, you don't have to explain yourself when you do the right thing. Jesus, he stood in silence before Herod, uh, only said just a, a few words before Pontius Pilate, didn't defend himself before Caiaphas. He stood silent before his shears. Now again, the the Jews would have understood this imagery, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, right? They understood, okay, lamb is a substitute, it's a sacrifice for sin. But I think it's interesting that it says like a sheep that is silent before its shears. Did you know that sheep actually enjoy being sheared. They look forward to it. They carry around the weight of their their coat or whatever you call it. Uh, and they trust their shepherd. They trust that the shepherd is doing what is best for them. And it's a weight off of them. It's a relief to them when, it's, when they're sheared. Jesus was at both the sheep and the shepherd at the same time. He went and took our place and was sheared on our behalf and and was glad to, to do it. But at the same time, he's the shepherd dying for his sheep. In John 10, verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's not how it normally works. Isaiah 53, verse 8, it says, uh, By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, he considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. So he's... Know, we, I thought about chasing down every reference, uh, but, you know, if you know the story at all, Jesus is crucified between two criminals. And he, uh, he's, but he's buried in a rich man's tomb, Joseph of uh, Hermesia. And I've always thought it's interesting that this rich man had a tomb that was near the place of execution. Like, that's not where rich people... To choose to be in sin. This guy did. And I, I wonder if maybe he had prepared it just for Jesus. Jesus didn't swoon. He didn't pass out on the cross. He was dead and buried. And, and you know, just the chances of all this stuff being fulfilled uh, in one man is, uh, is astronomical. But verse 10, it says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. That's weird, right? The Lord was pleased Jesus wasn't a victim of circumstance. It's not like uh, they snuck up and caught him. This was planned. He and the Father worked this out amongst each other. The Bible actually tells us that Jesus is the the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In other words before any of it happened he knew that this is what he was going to do and so no it didn't please God to abuse his son but it pleased him that many would come would come to be with him for eternity because of it the Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering he will see his offspring he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in His name. He will see His offspring. I think it's awesome that Jesus uh, at the cross, on the cross, saw someone born again. You know, there was, remember there was one of the thieves, or the thief on the cross turned to Him and said, remember me in your kingdom and he, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. One, someone came to faith on the cross. So Jesus got to see his offspring, so to speak, um, as he was doing as he was being sacrificed. Verse eleven, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge the righteous one, my servant, will justify many, as he will bear their iniquity. Yeah, that word many kind of haunts me a bit through all of that and pay for the sins of the whole world. But there will be many who won't accept that payment on their behalf. Many will not acknowledge and not trust them. Many, many will, but many won't. Because as a result of the anguish of His soul, He will see it and be satisfied by His knowledge the righteous one, my servant, will justify the man. By the knowledge of the righteous. That's what Jesus says gives you eternal life. That's how this transaction works. John 6, verse 40, he says, "For so this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, right, he, you take an honest look at the Son, you, you have knowledge of who he is, and believes in him, will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last. Isaiah 53, verse 12, it says, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So he's going to divide the spoil or the booty. Um, The Bible teaches that we, when we believe, when we become a Christian, that we become joint heirs with Christ. Like we have all the full rights and privileges of a child of the king. And, and that way he shares the spoils, the, the treasure with us. And First John uh, 3 says that uh, how great the, the love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Now we don't think of it that way very often, I think am a Christian, or I'm a believer. No, you, you, if you are the, or if you're those things, you're also a child of the King. With all the rights and privileges there. It says he interceded for the transgressors, even on the cross. Remember, he, he says, "Father, forgive them." They don't know what to do. I that blows my mind right, because. I still think about the guy that cut me off in traffic three weeks ago. But I I would love to find where he lives and lay hands on him. I'm not that forgiving. And Jesus, while he is being transgressed against, is forgiving in the moment. he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. I think it's interesting too that um, that word interceding. He's still interceding on your behalf. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says this, that says, Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him he always lives to make intercession for them. The Bible teaches us that um, Satan is constantly making accusations. He's the accuser of the brethren. What he loves to do is go before God and say, Let's see what this one told. Look what that one does. God's not mad at you. Well, every time Satan does that, Jesus says, hold on, Uh, this one has me in him, that one has my blood applied to them, he's mine, so back off, I'm thankful for that, and I hope you are too, Uh, we're going to dig into it a little bit more next week, and in chapter 54, we're going to get into some uh, some cool stuff, I think, Uh, but for now, let me see. Lord, we thank you this evening that, um, that we know that you are still interceding on our behalf. That no matter how far we stray, uh, you're always you're always there, uh, waiting for us to turn back. But also, um, you've got our back. You're guarding us, um, and we're just so thankful that that you love us in such a way that we can't even uh, find words to express. It's amazing that you've you told us all about how you would uh, look and how you would come and what you would do hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand, and yet we still missed it, and though know, there are still people that are missing the truth right in front of them today, we just pray that anyone listening tonight is been on the fence about it or has never considered you and the work you did on the cross, that you would uh, you would open their eyes to see the truth. Words, we know when we put our trust in you, everything changes, our, de- our destiny changes. We're thankful for that tonight, well, we, uh, we just pray that uh, many more would come to you but also the e-commerce and the service community.